0: This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Tax time leaves many Americans scrambling to make sense of their finances. For Black Americans, tax season mistakes can lead to costly audits and feed the racial wealth gap. So what's the best advice for last minute filers and for a better tax plan next year?
1: Use this time. Look at your tax return so that you're familiar with your finances, because once you become familiar and you take control, you can build wealth for yourself and your family.
0: Surviving Tax Season, coming up on A Word, with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us.
2: Can you set the stage a little bit so people understand what happened? In 1969, 14 black student athletes were kicked off their university's American football team for planning a show of support against racism. We were really protesting our treatment on the field. Amazing Sports Stories from the BBC World Service tells their story. We became brothers that day when he did that to us. We made a change. Fighting for what we deserve. Search for amazing sports stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts.
0: Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. It's tax season, and for many of us, that means rifling through a shoebox or a junk drawer for receipts hoping to beat the deadline and not make major mistakes that could get us audited. For black folks, filing taxes can be more complicated, especially because many of us grew up without the resources and connections that help many Americans build a tax strategy that pays off at this time of year. But it's not too late to make a change. Joining us to talk about it is Michelle Singletary. She's a personal finance columnist for The Washington Post and author of several books. Her latest is What to Do With Your Money When Crisis Hits, A Survival Guide. Michelle Singletary, welcome to A Word.
1: Thank you for having me. All
0: right. So I got to ask this first. From a financial health perspective, scale of one to 10, how bad is it to be filing your taxes at the absolute last minute?
1: If you would do a refund, I'd say probably like a nine because you could have had your money sooner. If you owe, it's not bad at all. So I'd say a two. Uh, because, you know, you can wait till the last minute to pay them, uh, and it's not due until April 18th. So it really depends on where you are with your taxes. And I think many people have already filed if they're getting a refund, and that's great.
0: So reporting from ProPublica and other outlets shows that, you know, people in the nation's black belt, which is like the Southeastern, mostly African-American communities, are the most likely to get audited. Um, What makes black folk more likely to get audited? And what are some of the triggers in your tax filings over the years that make you a higher likelihood of getting audited?
1: So it's not race-based necessarily. Those filings get audited more most likely because they have filed for the earned income tax credit. And by law, the IRS has to look at those much more closely. So it skews the audit numbers because it's so easy to get that wrong. Not that somebody is trying to cheat necessarily, but you've got to have qualifying children, you've got to have qualifying income. So there's a lot of things that you have to make sure are correct and people get it wrong. Like maybe you misrepresented or you forgot and put in the wrong social security number for your kid so it gets kicked out. So really that is why those returns get audited. And by the way, African-Americans, because of systemic racism and other things, are more likely to earn less. So they're more likely to qualify for the earned income tax credit. So you sort of follow the flow, right? It's not because it was Black, but because of other issues that put them in a position where they qualify for this um, low-income tax credit. Um, That is why their returns are audited. And it's not personal. It's not like they're going, oh, that's a return from a Black person. Let's just pull that out the pile. It's earned income tax credit, and it's automatic. So there's document matching that pull those returns out automatically.
0: Forbes reported that the racial wealth gap, which is the difference in assets between Black households versus white households, is between 900000 and a million dollars. What role does the tax system play in that wealth gap between Black and white America?
1: Well, I don't know if the role plays, but really that wealth gap is most likely for many Americans, the equity in their homes. And so often when we hear that number right away, People think, oh, well, they're not handling their money well. That's why they have less assets. But let's roll it back. You know, things, you know, people don't want to hear this because we want to think that we're post racial. But when you think about the policies that were in place that prevented African American families from owning a home, we're talking at the state and federal level where they weren't allowed to get loans or when they got loans, the interest rate was high or, you know, they redlined neighborhoods. And so when you roll it back to those, those policies, so blacks weren't allowed to home homes, or if they did, it was very costly. If they got in there, they often lost the home because they couldn't afford to keep it because they weren't earning the same, even when their experience was the same. And the tax code favors people who have home equity. You get that mortgage deduction, right? But you only get it if you itemize. Well, most likely the people who itemize are people with a lot of money. And so you can see how the tax code then sort of plays into the systemic racism because the more money you make, the more likely you're itemized, the more likely you're itemized, the more likely you'll be able to take that mortgage interest deduction.
0: We're going to take a short break and we come back. More tax tips from personal finance columnist Michelle Singletary. This is a word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned.
2: Can you set the stage a little bit so people understand what happened? In 1969, 14 black student athletes were kicked off their university's American football team for planning a show of support against racism.
0: We were really protesting our treatment on the field.
2: Amazing Sports Stories from the BBC World Service tells their story. We became brothers that day when you did that to us. We made a change. Fighting for what we deserve. Search for Amazing Sports Stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts.
0: This is Jason Johnson, host of A Word, Slate's podcast about race and politics and everything else. I want to take a moment to welcome our new listeners. If you've discovered A Word and like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know what you think by writing us at aword@slate.com. Thank you. You're listening to a word with Jason Johnson. Today we're talking about taxes with personal finance columnist Michelle Singletary. You've been giving financial advice for like decades now. What in your early life like prepared you for this work? What turned you into the financial advice person for so many decades?
1: Well, I am definitely that person and I have been Uh, from a wee little person. I like to joke that I was probably be deliberate and you know that throwing away stuff and I probably turned over and I was crying because I was like, why y'all throwing that stuff away? <laughs> you know. But really, um, I got a lot of my financial wisdom from my grandmother, Big Momma, who raised me. She, my grandmother took in, there was five of us all together, all siblings. And my sister was eight, I was four. I had a sister who was three and twin brothers who were just under two years old. And despite having to take in five grandchildren, my grandfather, you know, had a drinking problem. So his money didn't always come home, his paycheck didn't often didn't make it home. But my grandmother was a masterful money manager. I mean, I, I, to this day, I'm thinking, how did this woman do it? And so I got a lot of her wisdom and I learned at her skirt, you know, and I just took an everything she hated debt like it was the devil himself she saved from every single paycheck even though it was a struggle taking care of five children and she didn't accept the cash state payments because she was a proud you know person from North Carolina her family had owned land she's like I'm not taking your money uh and so with all of that she still managed to feed us and clothe us we didn't have a lot you know we didn't necessarily always have seconds but we had a roof over her head and food on the table and a couple of outfits that all of we needed and um, I just watched her do that and she paid all her bills on time My grandmother and this is literally true was never late on a single Solitary bill. She paid all her bills early. So I learned all of that from her So it's always been of who I who I've been is to my core
0: You know many black folks don't grow up with generational wealth and even A lot of middle class people don't have networks that include strong financial and tax advisors. If you're looking for your first financial advisor, if you're looking for a professional tax planner, what are some things that you think that black folks who might be new to the process should be looking at?
1: I do think that you ought to have a team uh, around your finances. If you don't have a lot of money starting out, you may not necessarily need a financial advisor, but you do need like a financial coach. And there's so many programs now. uh, I know I run a a program out of my church called Prosperity Partners. It's a year-long financial program where we meet every month for a couple of hours and just talk about money. And then we have people who volunteer to become their money mentors. So every month, somebody is talking to somebody in our program about their money. But if you don't have you know, a program like mine in my church, then community organizations are giving financial classes. So start there. Once you start earning a little bit of money and you're like, I'm not quite sure how to invest that, then you should invest in in hiring a fee-only financial planner. My husband and I did that, um, and it took us a couple. We didn't. We weren't as fortunate as you. We took a couple before we landed on one that we were in sync with. It was an African-American woman, and I recently, we worked with her like 20 years ago, and then she moved on to another job, and I pulled out the packets of information that we were working with her. It was just like, I don't know, about four inches thick. It was a lot of stuff she told us to do, and we put, implemented every single thing she said, And we are well off because of her advice and pushing us. Because one of the things, uh, particularly for African-American families, not because they don't know understand the stock market, because we weren't really allowed to do those things, we tend to be very, very conservative. So we put a lot of our money in property as opposed to the stock market, which is not bad. It is of self. But you've got to have a diversified portfolio. You can't have all your money in property because it's not liquid. So if you lose your job, it becomes hard hard to get to that money. And so she told us about, you know, being more aggressive in our 401k. And we listened and we did that. And she helped us set up a 529 plan um, for the children so that we were able to send all three of our kids to college debt free. We were always savers. We already knew how to handle our cash. She just pushed us to that next level. And that's what a financial planner can do. But you want to be careful who you choose. Interview some people. Make sure you look at the fees that they're charging because fees impact your return. But if you get your hands on a good person who can guide you through your financial life, you can accumulate a wealth for yourself and your children and your children's children.
0: One of the things that I think is key and financial advisors are part of this, and this isn't specific to black people, but, you know, applies to us as as anyone else. A lot of people just don't like talking about money. What are some ways that we can break down some of the cultural barriers that we have about discussing money? Because I think that's a big part of it. There's so many other things in life that we can discuss comfortably and openly. But for some reason, we don't talk about money. And that's one of the reasons I think people do have trouble during tax season and do have trouble overall financially because it's not a topic of discussion. It's taboo.
1: Yeah. You know, and it's just not a black thing. You know, I look at surveys all the time and it's a, it's really an American thing. Um, it impacts African-American families more because we're starting from so far behind. Um, so I just want to be clear that we say that because oftentimes people go, like, oh, black people don't know how to handle money. And it's just not true. As a culture in America, we don't really talk about money. And honestly, I wouldn't get your advice from your friends. Anyway, you, you shouldn't know what they make and they shouldn't know what you make. Your conversations about money ought to be around and with people who can help move you forward because there's so much misinformation. Like for example, in the black community, it's like, oh, you gotta get a house and you gotta get property. Well, that may or may not be the best way for you to create wealth. Or you might be told by friends and family, you better buy a house. If you're renting, you're just throwing your money away. That is not necessarily true and that is not good. So I think you assemble a team, you you educate yourself. You know, you listen to programs like this. You read the Washington Post business section. That is the information that you ought to be feeding into yourself. You want to talk to your friends about something like that. Some article that you saw. Oh, I saw Michelle Singletary Column about last minute taxes. What do you think? That is how you should be talking about it. And then talking to your children about it. We talk to our kids about money from the time that they were little people. And that is not exaggeration. In their car seats. We are talking to them about money. And eventually they understand what you mean.
0: We're going to take a short break. and we come back, more with personal finance expert Michelle Singletary. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today we're talking with Washington Post personal finance columnist Michelle Singletary about tax season. So I got to ask you this. What are your thoughts about the major filing services? Are they worth the money? I disclose I don't work for any of them. <laughs> I don't think you work for any of them. Um, are there some that are better than others? Are there some that you should completely avoid? What are your thoughts?
1: Most Americans have someone else prepare their taxes, either a tax professional or person or software. And that is unfortunately how our tax system is set up. It is so complicated for the average person and it's mind boggling. So I definitely get help if you need it. Now for a long time, my husband and I had a tax professional do our taxes, but then we got you know, some really good software and using that software actually helped us become more familiar with our own th- finances. So we do our own taxes using tax software. It's great. We have conversations about it. We understand the tax code a little bit better. You know, we understand deductions and anonymization and all those kinds of things. So my husband starts at first. He puts in all the numbers. He prints it out. I look at it and then we look at it together. That's a great exercise. And so, you know, if you are able to do that and you're not intimidated, most definitely. But if that's a little intimidating to you, then you ought to hire a tax professional. But be sure that it's it's a qualified person. The IRS has a tool that you can go on at irs.gov to look up the tax professional, make sure they have the proper credentials to do your taxes, make sure they sign your taxes. If you're working with someone who does not want to sign your taxes, you need to get up and run Because by law, they're supposed to sign your taxes. Now, having said that, anything on your tax return, you are responsible for. So if they mess up and you owe money, the IRS will come after you. Now, you might be able to sue your tax professional, but they're going to come after you. And so some of the tax preparation companies, the big ones, you know, they do a fine enough job. The IRS has a service where it's called Free File. You go to irs.gov and you'll see a link for Free File. And you can get your taxes done for free by doing different companies if your adjusted gross income is $73,000 or less. And some of them will also do your state taxes for free.
0: When is a good time to perhaps change uh, financial advisors? Should you say, hey, if I've had this financial advisor for years and I'm single and I'm getting married, should me and my partner look to get one that will work with us now that we're together? Or uh, if I get divorced or uh, if I am widowed or once we have children? Are there critical points where it might make sense to change your financial advisor or is the assumption that they should just grow with you despite these sort of major changes in life?
1: Yeah, I think it, um, most professionals are, are are skilled enough to deal with you, whether you're single or getting married. Um, when you want to change your advisors is maybe you have an, an attorney and you are doing your estate plan. And you want to find an attorney who's skilled in that area. But in terms of financial planners, I haven't run into any like they're only for married people or only single people. When is the time to change? If you don't feel like they're being responsive enough, um, if you don't feel as if they're you're getting value for the fees that you're paying, um, some people invest under what is called assets under management. So they get a fee based on how much money you're investing with them. But if your investment plan is fairly simple and it's just got mutual funds, you may not need someone to pay them that because usually it's anywhere from half a percentage point to a point to a percentage to up to two percentage points. I wouldn't pay that. Um, but you know you might not need somebody to to handhold you. We pay for advice and then my husband and I invest on our own. And we've done a really great job on it. So I don't need to pay someone to tell me what direction. And we do pay people to look at our plan every several years to make sure that we're on track. We call it stress testing our financial plan. And I think that's an effective use of a financial planner. So you tell them everything you're doing, they look at it, and they give you like a report to say, you're on track, maybe you need to do more savings here and there. Now, of course, when we stress styles, (laughs) the planner was like, you good. (laughs) And that's what we want to hear. And that's well worth the money. To make sure that we're on track.
0: For people who are rushing to file ahead of the April 18th deadline, under what circumstances does it make sense to file for an extension?
1: If you haven't received all your documents, maybe there's some outstanding 1099s or 1099ks, or maybe for some, now all the companies should have already sent that, but you know, for whatever reason you might not have had it, or maybe you're still waiting for some receipts, then you can file for an extension. Now, Filing for an extension does not give you time to pay your tax bill. That is so important and very key. So the extension says you are getting time to file the tax return. And I know people are already thinking, well, wait a minute, if you gotta still pay, that means you need to fill out the form to figure out what you have to pay. That's true. But if you're not sure, you can estimate what you owe and then pay that by April 18th or as much of it as possible. And maybe you estimate that you owe the IRS 2000 and you actually, after you do your return, you owe them 2500 Or at least pay them that 2000 by April 18th. And then you can follow up with paying them the rest as soon as you figure out how much you owe.
0: I always like to end on an optimistic or positive note, something that people can take with them. Uh, looking ahead, Everybody starts thinking about their taxes around this time. They think of all the things that they didn't do the year in advance, and they're like, I'm going to do it differently this year, blah, blah, blah. What are some things that people can start doing right now so that they're not rushing at the last minute and they're not stressed out at this point next year?
1: I think the most important thing is to create a filing system for all your financial documents. Um, And this is a good time to take a look at what you're doing. For example, if you get a return year after year and your tax situation doesn't largely change, you buy a house or you have a kid, then you need to think about why am I allowing the government to hold my money for a whole year, particularly if you have credit card debt or some consumer debt? So you're losing money. Money. Now, when interest rates were super low, that might not have been such a big deal, right? Because it's what sort of many people see it as a forced savings plan. But now that interest rates are creeping up at three or 4%, you want to have your money and put it in the bank and earn some interest. Or if, now that the interest rates are creeping up because of the Fed's fight with inflation, credit card rates are of over 20% now. Um, And so you want to look at your withholdings and see, are you over withholding so you can get that windfall in April. And if you are, I would need you to change that. And if you go to IRS website, there's a withholding calculator that can help you figure out so that you may owe a teeny bit or get a tiny refund. And if you're working with a tax professional or even software, it'll tell you how much you need to put in so that your refund is just really small or that you only owe a little bit of money um, when it comes time. So use this time to get familiar with your finances. I know it's a struggle for a lot of people that you don't you just you get your taxes done and you don't even really look at the tax return you just sign it at the bottom don't do that y'all you just need to know about your money and so use this time look at your tax return so that you're familiar with your finances because once you become familiar and you take control you can build wealth for yourself and your family
0: Michelle Singletary is a personal finance columnist for the Washington Post and the author of What to Do with Your Money When Crisis Hits, a survival guide. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that's a word for this week. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Christy Taiwo McAnjula. Ben Richmond is Slate's Senior Director of Podcast Operations. Alicia Montgomery is the Vice President of Slate Audio. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for Word.
2: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day,